0: We're on a series right now that I'm calling Greater Than, and it comes from First John 4.4, 4, which says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And John's speaking something very specific to his readers, and, and there's this, the one who is in you. And, and he's speaking about Jesus, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that speaks about some kind of enemy that's out there. And we're going to get into that in future weeks. And I want to encourage you to be a part of this series because it's important for us not just to, and that's a verse that's quoted a lot by Christians, but sometimes it's important for us to find out, hey, what was John talking about when he said that? And we'll get to that in future um, weeks. But, uh, so it's kind of a TBC. Do you know what TBC is? Texting language. What does TBC stand for in texting language? To be continued. How many of you have gotten a text message from one of your children and you're like, what? Some of you just aren't there. Or your spouse or or whoever it might be. Every once in a while I get this uh, text from, usually it's Levi. Um, I I meant usually it's Levi. (laughs) Not Levi. Um, (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway. Um, and, uh, and I'm like, what does that mean? And I find myself looking up, um, these initials cause I have no idea what this texting language is, but, uh, but there's a whole texting language. For instance, LMK, what does that mean? Let me know. Okay. Some of you speak text, um, R-O-F-L, ROFL, what does that mean? Rolling on the floor, laughing. All right. Whatever that looks like. IDK, what's IDK. I don't know. And then how about IKR? I know, right? Actually, I don't. And that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm looking up all of this stuff. Is So there's these languages that are out there that we've got to become aware of. And a lot of you are just lost right now and saying, that's why I don't like texting. Um, don't worry. Google knows everything. Or so my kids tell me. So you can look it up. Um, but there's these languages that are out there. And did you know that all professions have languages also? Yeah, there's, there's these languages that are out there. And so, um, for those of you that have worked in the professional restaurant industry, curtain up. Okay, obviously, we don't have a lot of people that worked in the restaurant industry. That's the act of opening up the restaurant. Okay, curtain up. Um, four top, that's a table of four. Two top is a table of two. One top is a solo or ace. Are you making, are you tracking with this? Um, over the top, that has nothing to do with table count that has everything to do with someone who drank too much green table that's the vegetarians turn the table that means that you're getting rid of one crew and you're seating another crew which is good for tips and then there's you have a squatter you have a squatter at 16 that's the guest that is overstayed they're welcome hm that's a high maintenance table I'm getting slammed, that's when the host seats too many guests in your section. I'm getting doubled, that's when the host seats two groups in your section at the same time and you've got to jump to get everything. Dropping the food, it's not what you think. That's when someone says, I just dropped seven. That's when the runner tells the waiter or waitress that table seven has just been served. Runners, those are the delivery people. Have you ever noticed that the waiter and waitress sometimes don't bring your food that someone else does? That's the runner. I need fries, 911. That means that the server forgot to include a dish on the initial order and it's an emergency. Get me those fries. Industries have language. And so, um, we, living in Montana, in the Mountain West, um, there are some other languages that are out there that people just assume that we know. For instance, every once in a while, someone says, I have to AI this week. Uh, is that Canadian? AI? Artificial insemination. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Hmm. ADG. For those of you in the ranching industry, what does ADG mean? Average daily growth. Uh-huh. Coal. Call, call, coal, How do you say that? Coal. uh sure, okay, whatever <laughs> uh, heifer, you know when people say heifer in years past, I've just uh-huh, I think that's a cow, maybe um <laughs> The reason I bring this up is, is because um, there's these languages that are out there. Some of you are in industries that have particular languages, and you speak your talk, and the rest of us just shake our head. And the truth is, is that, you know, when we, when we think about this, is the Bible has a language of its own. And sometimes as Christians, we, we forget, we start speaking um, some of the biblical language and we might not be aware that not everyone is understanding, not everyone is picking up what we're talking about. And John, in particular, in his letters and in his gospel, he uses a lot of language that it's, it's become a part of everyday Christian words, but these words are not always understood by us or certainly not everyone else. And so fellowship is one of those words that Christians might understand that other people might not. And so John uses the word fellowship. He uses the phrase, walking in the light. And then there's this, all of this language about the blood of Jesus. It's under the blood, man. Okay. Don't worry. It's under the blood. Fellowship is, we can fellowship with one another. And, uh, and um, hey, the blood, it purifies us from everything. This sounds interesting. Interesting and maybe a little strange, under the blood? Huh. Don't be deceived. He's the atoning sacrifice. You see, all of this language is is this language that's used in the Bible and, and to other people, it sounds, maybe even to some of us, it sounds like Ghibli Josh, right? And so sometimes we speak in a lingo that our profession would understand, but other people may not. And sometimes when it comes to the Bible, there's this lingo, is this language, and the same thing is happening because the Bible has a language of its own. And so what we have to do is we have to interpret the language into the course of conversation, even into our own lives, so that we and others can understand what's being said. And so John uses all kinds of language that we have to make practical, so to speak, so that we can understand it. And when... When we're talking to others so that they can understand it also. And for example, is is we're going to talk about walking in the light. As I read um, the passage, think about the language being used. It's good language. It's biblical language. We need to know it. But we also need to know how to make it practical in our lives. And also to be able to explain it to others who may not be as familiar with it. And so I'm going to read in 1 John, starting at verse 3 and going through um, chapter 2, verse 2. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word... Is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so there's this language that's being used in here, and it's helpful when we can really understand it and really get a grasp on it and, and understand it fully the way that John's first readers understood it. And so let's start with the word fellowship. Fellowship is a big deal um, to John, and sometimes people associate fellowship with food and coffee. Which in our church before COVID, it, how, how often are we going to talk about before COVID? I mean, there's yeah, when life was normal. There's no normal right now. Um, but we had this. Um, we had we had these really awesome ladies, and occasionally a man, but not very often. Who would put out this buffet of treats? And I mean, it was incredible. I mean, everything that was good out there, and uh, and, and so there's this buffet and all of these treats, and, and you know there'd be a hundred people over there, um, you know, grazing and talking and and coffee, and for some reason, coffee and food it always makes worship better, um, and we would say is we'd call that fellowship time. And it's easy to think that it's just food and coffee and certainly food is a part of fellowship but actually fellowship goes much deeper. That language that John is using, it's it's much deeper than just food and coffee or whatever it might have been for them. In Acts chapter 2, we're told that this these first believers that they started to fellowship together and that it was an important component of what it meant to be the church. And they didn't even have a conception of what church was supposed to be yet because it wasn't this. They were still trying to figure out what it was. And so they started getting together and were told that that there were certain things that were really important to those early believers. And so in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And guess what? That's the New Testament now. We've got it written, but they got to hear it straight from the source. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And all of those are individual components of what it meant to be a believer and to come together and start to experience the Christian life. And so there's the apostles teaching. These were the eyewitnesses. And so when John is writing at the opening of this, if you were to read, we started at verse 3, but if you were to read verses 1 and 2, he says is that we have seen, we have heard, we have looked upon and we have touched. And, and what is he saying? Is he saying is, is, I'm writing this to you right now. So that you can know that, the, that what you're hearing, that it's valid and that it's real and that it's trustworthy. Because we didn't just um, give you things that we heard. We actually heard straight from Jesus. The things that I'm going to talk to you about. And he doesn't say we have just heard. It's, it's he, has, he says, we have seen And you know, when it says we have seen, you say, why would he say we have seen and we have looked upon? Well, because he meant two different things. The first thing is, is we have seen. And that means is we have perceived. We have really understood who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And then he says, we have heard with our own ears. We heard Jesus share these things. We have looked upon. That's with our eyes. We have actually looked at and upon looked at Jesus and upon his work. And, um, and we have touched, and there's this, almost this picture of, is Thomas, the disciple, um, when, when he was told that Jesus um, had come back from the dead, that he'd been raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, Thomas said, I, I don't believe it and I won't believe it. Unless I get to put my fingers in the nail hole in his hand and touch his side where the spear went in, I'm not going to believe it. Did you know that the first skeptics were actually the followers of Jesus? Is that, you know, and so they didn't believe it. They ran. They checked it out. And it says that because, because the testimony came from wiz, women that he wasn't there, is, is they didn't believe it partially because of who told them. They had to see with their own eyes, that it was Jesus. Thomas actually said, even if I see it, I won't believe it. I need to touch. And so when Jesus appeared to the disciples and Thomas hadn't yet encountered Jesus, Jesus looked directly at Thomas and said, put your fingers in my hands, touch my side. And now John is saying "As is the reason you can trust what I'm saying to you is because we have seen, we have heard, we have looked at, and we have touched And, um, and and then he's, he's saying is, is that we want to invite you into this fellowship that we had with Jesus, is this fellowship. You can, you can be in a fellowship with us, those of us that are eyewitnesses, but you can also be in, in fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so this word fellowship is so much deeper than we could ever imagine. The word fellowship isn't found that many times in the New Testament. It's actually only found 19 times in the New Testament, and it's not found at all in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. But there's one writer by the name of Robert Yarbrough um, that I was reading this week, and he made this statement. He said that the thing denoted by the word fellowship, which means sharing And and it's this idea of sharing life together, but also the common bond of faith in Christ. It is ubiquitous, and that means that it's all over the New Testament. It's everywhere. And, And it talks about what this relationship with God is like, this fellowship, this common bond, but also this relationship with each other. And so fellowship, fellowship with the eyewitnesses, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and it's a distinctly Christian word. But then John says something interesting, and it has to do with the whole idea of fellowship. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him, Jesus, and we declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so there's this picture of walking in the light. And it's a picture that John uses to help us understand what the pattern of a Christian life is. And so this picture of walking. Um, About a week ago, uh, I went to an orthopedic specialist because I've been having problems with my knee. And... uh, I, I stained the deck and I'd been on my knees for a couple of hours. And then as the day went on, my knee just got increasingly swollen and aggravated. And I was having trouble sleeping at night. And so I'd, I'd, I was taking two ibuprofen and a Tylenol and it wasn't helping that much. And I just could not sleep. And after three days of not sleeping, uh, I I thought I've, I've got to do something about this. And so I made this appointment and I went over and I met with an orthopedic specialist in Bozeman And they took x-rays of my knee, and then she came in, and she said, well, for your age, what was that all about? For your age, your knees look really good. Um, It took me a while. I didn't hear a couple of things after that. Uh, But I can't see any... um, any problems. And the reason she said about my age is because my birthday had been that week and she noticed on my charts. And, um, and so for your age, I'm just in my forties and, uh, um, they look really good. I can't actually see, um, that there's a problem. And so she was a little bit confused by that. And she continued to look at the x-rays and then continued to ask me questions. She said, Hey, I noticed here is that you were having physical therapy about a year ago. What was that all about? And I said, I, I, had plantar, I have plantar fasciitis on one of my um, feet, and, and I just can't seem to get rid of it, and so um, it's, it's pretty painful, and there's times um, when, uh, when it just really bothers me. And, um, and she said, oh, okay, which foot um, was that on? And I said, the same one uh, as the knee that I'm having problems with right now. And she said, oh, okay. And um, she asked me more questions about that, and I, I'd gone to physical therapy, had spent a bunch of money on trying to get it um, fixed. I, I, now I'm getting shots um, in that foot, just so that you can't notice the pain. And, uh, and she said, that's really interesting. Is I actually think is, is part of the reason why your knee is av- aggravated, is because, um, Your body is out of balance because you've been favoring that foot for so long that it's actually throwing off other parts of your body. And and your knee is where it's acting up because you're out of balance. And here's the thing. If your walk is out of balance, if there's something in your life that is throwing you off, it will show up. It'll affect your walk, spiritually speaking. It'll affect your life and it will throw you off. And it may not, on the outside, everything may look okay. But there will be a spiritual aggravation that's a part of your life that throws you off. And things will not be right until you deal with whatever's throwing you off balance. And so when John is talking about walking, walking in the light, he's talking about what does it look like to walk well? In another passage in the Bible, it says to walk worthy of the one who has called you and to walk in a worthy way. And it, but if there's things in our life that are keeping us from walking well, it will throw off everything else. Even if other people don't notice it, there will be an offness to our spiritual life. And so walking is John's way of talking about the pattern of the Christian life. What it is supposed to be like. And this whole idea can be found all over in scripture. So the psalmist says in Psalm 56, 13. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. As I'm walking, it's it, your word lights the path before me so that I can see where I'm going. And it's all over. I can go through scripture after scripture after scripture. But when you walk into the New Testament and there's this whole picture of life in John in his gospel... And, and anytime I say gospel, it's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it, it's, that, it's the, the story of Jesus' life his, his life, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's four gospels. But in his gospel, John says, in him, speaking about Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And when Jesus, um, in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John chapter 9, just one chapter later, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew, Matthew tells us that Jesus extended this, this picture of light to his disciples and he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. And so there's this picture of light and we're called to walk in the light. And and this is really a picture of is is that if you put your faith in Jesus and he is the light of the world, then, then his light is a part of your life that it's, it it guides you. His light guides you. And then your actions are to follow that you're not to walk in darkness. You're to walk in light. And this is maybe um, one way of saying is that if you call yourself a Christian, then make sure that your tongue, the tongue of your mouth and the tongue of your shoes are going in the same direction. And for you cowboys out there, is make sure the point of your nose and the point of your boots are going in the same direction. Otherwise, this is that your life is aligned and that what you say and the way that you live it out are in alignment with each other. And John John brings these words, this, this language. To us. He he brings the word fellowship and this idea of walking in the light together. And he does it in an interesting way. He says, if you claim to have this fellowship with him, with Jesus, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. Somehow this week, I came across the story of Brian Head Welch. Um, Do any of you know who he is? If you do, you're not saying because you're like, I used to listen to that. Um, He was one of the founding band members of, of Korn, a heavy metal rock band. And um, he's been rated as one of the best guitarists in the world. And he, he he was one of the founding members of this band. They founded it when they were in their teens in Bakersfield, California, and and they made it big. They they made it so big, in fact, is is that there are very few bands that ever get as big as Corn has gotten. And. Uh, And he's one of the most interesting characters that you've ever seen. There's an old CNN interview of him from 2005, and his braids are hanging down over his head, and and his his hair is dyed jet black, and he has on some goth-like makeup, and there's tattoos that anything, you know, anything that's not hidden by a shirt, is his body is just covered in tattoos from from where his short sleeve does all the way down to his hands, and literally tattoos all over his fingers. And then tattoos that are coming out of his neck, and he has two tattoos, one on, on the corner of each eye. So a very interesting looking man. And he was, he was involved in this heavy metal um, music industry. And it was a pretty wild industry. And, uh, and his life was just coming unwound. And he was hooked on drugs. He was doing cocaine. And he started with marijuana and alcohol. And then later he switched to cocaine. And then pretty soon it started going um, worse and worse. Things were just getting terrible. And he said, is that as our success took off, as our success took off, it's like my whole world was falling apart. and My home was just being destroyed. And pretty soon he's doing meth every day. And then, and then because meth just amps you up in order to sleep, he was also addicted to Xanax. And he was taking Xanax, which is a sleeping, um, works as a sleeping agent. And So he'd get high and then he'd come down on Xanax. And, and life is just crazy. And his wife is addicted to meth. And when he's out on the road partying, um, she is, is, uh, is partying also. And, and their daughter's in the midst of all of this. And life is just coming unwound. And his success is off the chart, literally making millions of dollars. And he's just hoping is, is that at one time he said, I just wished that I could take some of that Xanax and I could fall asleep and never wake up. And in in the early interviews, and I listened to a whole bunch of them this week, he kept on using the word dark and darkness over and over again. It was so dark. There was so much darkness over and over again. And he said at one point, and by this time he's using meth every day, and he said at one point, is he had all this money, and so he was trying to invest it. And, and he had a friend who was a real estate investor, and so he was hanging out with this particular friend. And, and this friend also built muscle cars. And so this is just this real manly man. And, and this friend is really concerned about him. And he says, Brian, um, hey, why don't you hang out with us um, today? And Brian's like, well, what? And he says, well, go to church with us, and then we'll um, go out. And Brian, he knows that if he's not, if, if he hangs out with someone else, he's going to be using. And so he thought, is, is, well, it'll take going to church, which I guess I can do, is, is, but I know that if I'm, I'm with them, I'm not using. And so he went to church with him and he said he got to this church and he's the only tattered up guy in the whole church and everyone else looks so-called normal. And he said, they didn't judge me. They loved me. And, And the pastor got up and he started talking about this guy by the name of Jesus. And, and to tell you the truth, I thought it was all weird and whacked out and I didn't know what to think about it. But, but as he started talking about Jesus and how Jesus died for my sin and, and it, even though it sounded crazy, I decided to raise my hand. And to ask God to forgive me for my sins and say, Jesus, if if you're real, then I'll trust you, but you've got to help me get clean. And Brian said that he checked himself into a hotel and he, he went cold turkey off of drugs and, and and during that whole time he was praying and saying, God, if you're real, you've got to take this away from me. And I know that this doesn't work for a lot of people, is but he went detox by himself in that hotel. He spent a week in a hotel while the drugs just got worked out of his system. And then he said, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. And this is all still kind of weird to me, but I'm going to follow you. But he knew that if he went back to the band, that it would just be a downhill trend. And so he, sub- so he literally submitted a resignation letter. And he said, I, I can't be a part of this anymore because I've put my faith in Jesus and I struggle with, with what the moral things that we've been singing about and doing and because he was addicted to pornography and and, um, there were a lot of people in the porn industry that were hanging out with him. And he said they were so abused. So many of them were so abused and it was so bad. It was just darkness and uses that terminology darkness over and over again. It's so much drugs. And he said, I just had to, I just had to make a break. And that week the band was signing a $23 million record deal. And, and the band member said, is, "Is hey, man, you quit now. You're out this. And he went back and he prayed and he read the Bible. And it says that the disciples left everything to follow Jesus. And so he said, okay. And guess what? Is is in 2009, he lost his home. He lost everything. This is back in like 2005. He lost everything. And he didn't even care. And so now you have this guy who's tatted up. And I mean, he's just, he's still a little wild. Um, and in... Uh, he later did some Christian heavy metal music, um, interesting, um, but for 15 years now, he's been out there sharing his story about following Jesus. And it's a story, and now he's actually back um, with Corn. and one of the other band members is a Christian, and the other two just can't figure him out, but they said, it is, is whatever happened to him, it's the real deal. And now he's starting treatment centers for people that are addicted to drugs. And uh, I watched him sharing his testimony about how he moved from being in this dark, dark place to stepping into the light of a relationship and a walk with Jesus Christ. You can look up his story. For 15 years now, he's been sharing his story, darkness to light, walking in the light. The danger that we all face is that we'll never clearly step from that darkness into the light. That maybe we'll, we'll think that we're there. We'll, we'll point at the guys like Brian Welch who are all tattered up and say, hey, I don't have tats like that. And I, I haven't done the kinds of things that he's done. And we do that really to take, take the emphasis off of us and take the emphasis off of our brokenness and really admit is, is that, you know, apart from God, we're all in the same position. Is that at some point, we all have to say is, is, God, I've tried to do life on my own. And when I try to do life on my own, it invariably gets really messy. And, and those sins that I work so hard to hide and to keep in the darkness. And that's really what we do is, is when we do run into the darkness, it's usually to hide because we've done something wrong or, or because there's sin and we kind of hide it in the darkness. But really, is, is that's, that's really the story of all of humankind all the way back to Genesis. When Adam and Eve, when they chose not to trust God and, 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 and chose to trust the word of, he's called in scripture, the deceiver. And then the next thing that they do after, after, they, after they choose to trust the deceiver is, is they, they choose to, hey, everything else looks really good and, and that, that looks good. And so I want some of that goodness. And, and they take some of that goodness, but it, it destroys their fellowship with God. And that's what sin does is it destroys fellowship. Um, and we have that happen when things happen in friendships and stuff is, is there's, there's sin, there's anger, there's things like that. And it destroys fellowship. But the same thing with God is, is when we sin, it destroys our fellowship with God. And what do they do? They cover themselves and they go into hiding and God has to come into the garden and say, where are you? And they're hiding. And the only way that we can come out of hiding The only way that we can come out of the darkness is if we realize that life the way that we do it turns out to be a mess. And when we say is, is that, hey, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it your way. And and so it's almost like we bring all of our sin into the light where it can be seen. And we bring it in. And since that light, biblically, is Jesus we bring it to Jesus and we say, It's yucky and it's gross, but I want to be done with it. I'm so tired of it. In John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we bring all of that sin and he says to us, I'll take that. I'll take that sin. And I'll give you my purity. And this is the way that he does it. John says, this is my children. And he's talking about his spiritual children. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours but also the sins of the whole world. So there's two things here. It says that he's our advocate. And, and so when we come before God, you know, the truth is is that our sin is exposed and, and we, deserve, um, we deserve punishment for sin. But, but Jesus says, no. No. Um, I am advocating for him, for her. Is that their sin has been taken care of and then it says that He's he's the atoning one, that, that he provides atonement. And what that means is, is that, that all of that sin, it deserves to be judged. And so he says, I will take the sin and I will take the judgment, which is why he died on the cross and his blood was shed. And so when we say it's under the blood, what's under the blood? The sin is under the blood. And so we give our sin to Jesus and he took it to the cross and hung on the cross and bled and died. He took the punishment for the sin. He atoned for the sin. It's called substitutionary atonement. We deserve the punishment. He becomes the substitute for us. He atones for it and he gives us his righteousness. So when the Bible says for the wages of sin is death, Who's, who's taking that punishment? The one who should never die, Jesus. And he dies for our sin. But then when he rises from the dead, when he rises for the dead, it becomes the picture of resurrection for every single one of us so that even though we will die, that there is life and life abundant. And because he rose, we know that we can rise also, that we're not condemned to this body. And the Apostle Paul called it this body of sin. So the most important thing that we can do is say, God, I've done things my own way and it hasn't turned out well. Would you Would you forgive me for my sins and be my savior? And here's the amazing thing that John says that we need to remember is Jesus is greater than our sin. The greater than for today is that Jesus is greater than our sin. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, um, life is messy and we all know it. And Lord, we can see it in our newspapers but Father, we can't do anything about what's going on out there. All we can do is, is bring ourselves to you and say, I need you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, like really had a decision time where, you say, where you've said is, is, Jesus, I've tried to do life on my own, and I don't want to do it that way anymore. Lord, would you forgive me for my sins? And I will follow you. And even if you have made that commitment to remember that even while we're walking through this world, if we get off a little bit, it messes up everything. And so just to say as is, Lord, I, I confess my need for you today in any sin that's been a part of my life. And I wanna walk in the light that you provide And so if you're, if you're praying that for the first time today, Lord, I bring my mess to you, forgive me for my sin, then, then the Bible, as uh, John says, is my children. But really what it says is, the Bible says is that you are children of God because of the forgiveness that he brings and you're adopted into his family and all of us are brought into that. Father and Lord God, be with us. We thank you for this time in the name of Jesus. Amen.